You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed mind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. This to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week. My name is Joseph Foscano, today's host. The program is broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program comes to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. So if there's that knock on the door when they're going to drag you away to the remand centre, don't despair. You can always listen to the podcast when you're released and found not guilty two years later. That's right. The podcast, 3cr.org.au. Go to Anarchist World this week. If you wonder what anarchism is all about, a very simple concept. It's so brilliantly simple that everybody has it wrong. Anarchos without rulers. So the anarchist mission is to create a society without rulers. And why do we want a society without rulers? Because it's inequalities in power and wealth which give rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people. We're not talking about rules. We're not talking about leaders. We're talking about rulers. And there's a lot of rulers around the world today. Now, interesting program today. Well, if I think it's interesting, most likely you'll think it's boring, but at least hang in there. We're going to touch on a lot of different subjects, but ultimately they're all linked. It's about inequalities in power and wealth. The real puppeteers. Now, I don't know if you've been one of these people that's been sucked in by the uh, Red Scare, the Yellow Hordes, you know, pre-election garbage and... uh, about, we're told there are some Chinese Communist Party puppeteers who want to put some money into the Labor Party because they think the Labor Party would be more nicer to them than the Liberal National Party. And and we're told, well, it was just an idea. It never happened. And good old potato head, Mr Dutton, my apologies to every potato listening to this program. I, it's offensive to compare you to Mr Dutton, I know, but sometimes, you know, I just, just a slip of the tongue. Apologies. But it's quite extraordinary. Here we are. These are the, we're told, these are the puppeteers. These are the puppeteers that will pull the parliamentary strings. And I'm thinking to myself, where am I? What garbage am I listening to? What's going on? On this program over the last 45 years, we've been talking about the real puppeteers, the people who pull the parliamentary strings, the people who determine the legislative agenda, the laws that are passed, which make a potentially great country into a pathetic country. And I'm thinking to myself, where am I? 
Where's the discussion about the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, which have such a profound effect on the political process? They weigh, the, they weigh they fund money into political parties in order to ensure that their agenda is the only agenda that ever comes up for debate in, in federal parliament and state parliament. I mean, parliamentary democracy, to a significant degree, is about puppeteering. And there are real puppets, as I said at the beginning. And it is about fighting the good fight against inequalities in power and wealth. You can have all the power you like, but if you don't have the wealth, that power is illusory. And that's what we, happen, that's what we see. As a smaller and smaller fractions of the population become more and more richer at our expense, let's not forget that, the key word is our expense, we find that the puppets, masters, are getting more powerful and more powerful. I mean, look at the last federal election where you couldn't even raise the idea of a little bit of tweaking to the negative gearing rules. Look at the way the mass media, especially the privately owned media, manipulated the debate in order to make, it, make people think we were going to introduce death duties, that people were going to lose their pensions. So let's get real. Let's talk about the real puppeteers, the people who currently pull the parliamentary strings, the people who ensure that the Commonwealth is never spread on the communal toast. It's a thin veneer. Most of it stays in the, uh, in the marmalade jar. Thin veneer, and they keep the marmalade jar. Think of the parliamentary debates over the last three years. Think of how real issues have been pushed aside. Think about how the COVID-19 pandemic has been handled in such a way as to give the private investment for private profit uh, mob the inside lane in terms of making a buck out of it and providing inadequate inefficient service. Think about those nurses who went on strike in New South Wales yesterday, despite the Fair Work Commission saying they couldn't withdraw their labour, who find themselves in the impossible situation of being told every day, oh, the public hospital sector is coping, we're coping, we're coping, when the reality is people are annoyed, angry, tired, fatigued, and patients are suffering constantly in underfunded, under-resourced public health sector. Think of the real puppeteers in the private school sector who continue to be given huge amounts of public money to run privately run schools which are there to make a buck. Think about it. Think about who the real puppeteers are. Is it some idiot from China who wants to put a bit of money in some particular political party or some particular candidate in order that they've got a better you know, view of the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese government? Or is it all those people we hear about every day who own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, who set the parliamentary agenda on a daily basis, 
who manipulate the parliamentary agenda to ensure that their share of the Commonwealth continues to grow and grow and grow at the expense of everybody else. I mean, parliamentary elections highlight who the real puppeteers are, who the puppet masters are, and who are the puppets. And currently, almost, not every, almost every member of federal parliament is nothing more than a puppet. A puppet of that small social society, less than 1%, that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication in this country. And if you think I'm wrong, and I'm sure there must be one or two listeners out there who thinks I'm talking through my anal canal, well, tell me why. Almost a million children live in poverty in the land of milk and honey. Tell me why the public housing sector has been so denuded and destroyed that people, you know, couch surf, live in cars, live on the streets. Tell me why we can't tackle the pandemic in a more efficient economic way. Tell me why so many important public assets that provide essential services to this, the people of this country have now been privatised at bargain basement prices, at fire sale prices. You tell me why, and I'll tell you why. Because of the pup- puppeteers, the people who pull the parliamentary strings. And it's not some, you know, some particular religious group or some particular, you know, uh, racial group. It's not about that. It doesn't matter the colour of your skin, how you speak, your religious beliefs. It's the amount of capital you've got in your hand. In a capitalist society, one based on private investment for private profit, it's that excess capital which gives you the power to determine the parliamentary agenda. Why else do we find ourselves in this situation where one third of... The population live on a social security benefit which barely, barely meets living costs. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. And this could be a great country, you know. Australia could be a great country. Not only could it be, it should be a great country. And that's the key word, should be a great country. I mean, we need to do a few things. The first thing we need to do, we need to come to some type of agreement with this country's First Nations people. 234 years after the colonisation process began, we continue to have, feel the effects of colonisation. We continue to refuse to acknowledge the truth of how this country was colonised. We continue to refuse to negotiate in any meaningful way. And if you think what's happening in Victoria is negotiations, think again, I could tell you stories that would make your hair stand on end. Think about it. It could be a great country. This country is rich, rich beyond belief. And its population is minuscule. When you compare it to the 8 billion people on the planet, when you compare it, say, to Bangladesh of 150 million on a floodplain the size of about a third of Victoria. 
extraordinarily rich. But we continue to be plagued by all the problems that we see on a daily basis. And what I love about Australia, and I love this, is, you know, we all need to be equal except the poor. Yeah? Except the poor. There's all these struggles for equality. Equality of opportunity. Equality to exploit your fellow human being. But when it comes to push comes to shove, about equality in terms of the resources being used for the common good, well, that idea is beyond the pale. Beyond the pale. Not only could this country could be a great country, it should be a great country, and it isn't. And to a significant degree, it isn't because of the puppet masters. Those people who continue to manipulate the parliamentary agenda and the legislation which comes out of Parliament to suit their bottom line. As I can keep telling you, capitalism, the private investment for private profit mantra, can incorporate most social movements. It can incorporate the green movement. We've seen this with the climate emergency where it's seen as a commercial opportunity. It can incorporate the gay movement, transsexual movement. It could even incorporate the movement for you know, reconciliation between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians, except, except in that case, it's about land. It's about compensation. It's about money. It's about resources. So any movement which doesn't challenge the private investment for private profit mantra which dominates every aspect of our existence in this country can be incorporated in the, in the, uh, in the capitalist model. Think about it. But there is one struggle, and that's why I've got a crossover with the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander struggle for justice. There is one struggle they cannot incorporate. They cannot tolerate. And that is the struggle to share the wealth which is created in this country among every person in this country, they cannot incorporate that struggle under any circumstances. That's why I say to listeners to the Anarchist World this week, you, you want real change, you need to move beyond issue-orientated social movements, political movements, ideologies. We need to move beyond that and go back to that fundamental struggle for equality, which is not just based on race or gender or sexual orientation, but a struggle for equality, which is also based ultimately on sharing the Commonwealth and using the Commonwealth for the common good. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week. 
broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Let's move on. Oh, I love living in the 21st century. Autonomous weapons and artificial intelligence. A match made in heaven. Now, I don't know. I'm sure any younger listener to the program will all know, know all about autonomous weapons and artificial intelligence, but a lot of listeners may not have may not really be aware of what's going on in the world as far as uh, weapons development is concerned. You know, nuclear weapons are, are nice. You know, they're good. There's only one problem with a nuclear weapon. They destroy everything. And there's radioactivity for a long time. So they're good and they're bad, you know. But, you know, they're not clean, are they? They're not clean. And also... Aerial bombardments and tanks, again, very crude. Crude weapons, drones, crude weapons. Because they not, only, not only do they destroy the human beings, they also destroy property. And that's, you know, if you're in a private investment for private profit mode, you know, destroying property is not a very good concept. So we really need to invent weapons that destroy human beings have minimal impact on the environment and retain the infrastructure. And that's the key word, retain. And autonomous weapons, which is really a kind of extension of the drone concept, is a concept where weapons are sent out into the enemy's territory which are pre-programmed to destroy the enemy or the perceived enemy and maintain infrastructure. Now, currently, these autonomous weapons are about the size of a dinner plate, so a little bit hard to handle. There's a little bit of practice in Libya where one faction was fighting another faction and they got their hands on some of these autonomous weapons in the last year or two. But the race is now on among the superpowers, in inverted commas, to create cheap, small, autonomous weapons which can destroy specific segments of a population. Computerised miniature bombs. Let's make it what they are. Computerised miniature bombs maybe the size of a golf ball or even smaller whose job it is to detect a, a particular person or a particular group of people and slaughter them indiscriminately. For example, it's just an example. You could program one of these little autonomous weapons, and they will be developed within the next two to three years. That's the information I've received. You could pre-program to go into a city and maybe kill everybody who's wearing a turban. That's the program. They're whizzing around looking for people with turbans. Bang, 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 bang. You could do mass slaughter in a very short period of time. Or what you could program to kill every male between the age of 12 and 60. 
And as they can be manufactured for less than $10, you don't need huge, you know, crappy submarine fleets like in Australia where you're wasting, you know, billions of dollars. You know, with, the, with, the, with the money needed for one jet, you could, say, buy 25, 30, 40, 50 million of these autonomous weapons and send them off to do their job, mass program them. You could mass program them to kill everybody who's limping. Hmm? Fascinating, isn't it? The big debate currently is, is what's the world going to do about them? Artificial intelligence and autonomous weapon systems, as I said before, is a marriage made in heaven. It changes the very nature of warfare. Forget about the sabre rattling on the Ukrainian border. That's a 20th century warfare. We're talking about weapons which can be launched, tens of thousands of them, to target particular types of humans in society creating mass slaughter with minimal property destruction. And if it thinks that this is science fiction stuff, it's not science fiction stuff. There are already autonomous weapons, and the problem is what happens if they go off accidentally and they're programmed to do particular things. And as we miniaturise these autonomous weapons, we will find ourselves in that situation. And already nation states are talking about limiting the development of these autonomous weapons. But guess what? Both Russia and the USA are against any limits. We did come to some agreement regarding biological weapons. And we've come to some agreement regarding chemical weapons. And we've come to some agreement regarding nuclear weapons. But when it comes to the weapons of the 21st and the 22nd century, the autonomous weapons, which are basically driven by artificial intelligence, not driven by human beings, but driven by machines which have been programmed, pre-programmed by human beings to do particular things. At least in the drone attack, there is a human being at the end of the, that drone making decisions about what's going to happen to that drone with an autonomous weapon and artificial intelligence, we could find ourselves at the edge of a precipice that we won't be able to control. So keep it in your heads. Autonomous weapons, artificial intelligence, miniaturisation of autonomous weapons, autonomous weapons designed to kill particular segments of the population with minimal property destruction. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Descartes. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Now, 
As you know, Afghanistan's going through a particular difficult period, especially the Afghanistani people. But I was fascinated by a uh, US decision in the last 24 hours. Fascinated. Just totally fascinated. Now, I may be an idiot, all right? Happy to accept the fact that I may be an idiot. But currently, the United States holds about $7.5 billion of Afghani money, frozen in its banks. And the Biden administration has made an important decision. It's made the decision to release half of that money, $3.5 billion, to assist with humanitarian aid for the people of, of Afghanistan, not the government, but the people of Afghanistan, who are facing starvation. And the other 3.5 billion people is going to be used to compensate family members of people who died in the 7-11 attacks. Think about that. Now, they must think we've got amnesia. Now, when those planes plunged into those towers, the people on those planes were Saudi nationals. Each person was a Saudi national. They are a national of the land ruled by the Saudi family, the House of Saudi. They weren't Afghanistan, people with Afghanistan passports. They were Saudi nationals. Bin Laden was a Saudi national. If anybody should be paying compensation to the relatives of that atrocity, it should either be the United States government and the House of Saudi. Why should the people of Afghanistan, whose money has been frozen in the United States, be punished for that attack? Why should they be punished? Why should their money be used to compensate the victims of that attack when that attack was an attack which was planned and carried out by Saudi nationals. End of story. And every time there's been attempts to drag the Saudi feudal family, I don't want to use the word royal, the Saudi feudal family into court regarding compensation, the United States government has done everything it can to block those attempts to obtain compensation from the Saudi government. I think it highlights the hypocrisy the United States government as far as its, you know, as far as its Afghanistan intervention is concerned and Australia's intervention in Afghanistan, which to some degree is now being played out in the courts. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Ever heard of the word info-pandemic or infodemic? Huh? 
I've all heard about pandemics. What about the info pandemic? Now, currently, there's about 8 billion people on the planet and about half, 4 billion, will be using social media today in one way or another. Now, one interesting aspect of the COVID-19 pandemic has been the rise and rise and rise and rise of info, disinformation and misinformation. And to a significant degree, the amount of misinformation, disinformation, which is circulating around the planet instantaneously, is matched to the rise and rise of the World Wide Web and its influence and its penetration among the population. And when you reach a situation where the legacy media is basically read and viewed by a minority of people, many people's interpretation of what's happening in the world comes through the World Wide Web. Now, the World Wide Web isn't this wonderful instrument that everybody supposes it is. I mean, initially it was designed by the, uh, the CIA in order to ensure communication could occur between various segments of a government in case of a nuclear war. And when the World Wide Web first hit the headlines, everybody thought it was going to be this great egalitarian leveller where we could bypass the legacy media and put forward ideas and concepts which were never debated or never raised in the community. But we've seen the exact opposite occur. We haven't seen the rise of civilised debate. What we've seen is the rise of authoritarianism, the rise of racism, the rise of misogyny, and to a significant degree, it comes about through the manipulation and takeover of the World Wide Web by commercial interests. It's a very simple concept. The World Wide Web, to a significant degree, relies on advertising. Advertising, eyeballs. And businesses pay good money in order to advertise on the World Wide Web. And it's a little bit like television. The more eyeballs you get on a particular program and the more eyeballs you get on a particular site, the greater money you can charge the advertiser. And when you get to the situation where you can actually target individuals using the World Wide Web with particular advertising material based on their previous use of the web, you begin to understand its power. But its power has now been subverted in such a way as to put the private investment for private profit model before everything. So what type of material tends to draw eyeballs? Well, the type of material that tends to draw eyeballs is material which is, by its nature, 
confrontational. The more confrontation, the more eyeballs, the more people involved, the more advertising revenue, the more movement or the more spreading of misinformation and disinformation. Now, sovereign nation states have learned very quickly that a great way to influence somebody else is by manipulating the web and targeting people almost on an individual basis and changing ideas. So this pandemic of misinformation and disinformation, not just misinformation, not just people putting stuff up which they think, you know, is right when it's blatantly wrong, but it's about disinformation. It's about other actors, political groups, social movements, sovereign nation states, swamping the web with disinformation in order to create panic, division, unnecessary confrontation, all for the sake of an advertising dollar. Think about it. Think about it. Interesting. Infodemic, what we're currently facing. Let's get a little bit... Oh, look, we've been a bit too intellectual, haven't we, you know? Autonomous weapons, artificial intelligence, info pandemics. The list goes on and on. Now, I, I need to make an appeal on behalf of the Lodge in Canberra. Now, the Lodge in Canberra is one of the few public institutions, yes, it does belong to all of the Prime Minister and his family inhabit it, is one of the few institutions which still belongs to the public. And I'm very concerned. I'm very concerned about the Lodge, about the state of the Lodge, although there's been, you know, multi-million dollar renovations. Now, when my beloved caricature of a Prime Minister, Mr Morrison, he's now become a caricature, you know, the ukulele man, was talking to us from the heart, you know. I was, I had tears rolling down my face. I really did. It was such an emotional, emotional experience. No, I didn't watch 60 Minutes. But it was such an ex- emotional experience, tears. Now, I was moved by the fact that he says he prays. And i got nothing wrong with people praying. He prays for us and he prays for the country every night. And he prays so much, he says at night, that he's worn the carpet. Now, that is an outrage. That is a publicly owned carpet in the Lodge. That's our carpet. Hasn't the Prime Minister heard of a prayer mat? He urgently needs a prayer mat so he doesn't damage the carpet. So, I'm encouraging you to send prayer mats to the Lodge in order to ensure that the publicly owned carpet isn't worn down by Mr Morrison's knees. I mean, who knows? He may not be Prime Minister in a few months' time and I'm sure the next Prime Minister will be a little bit upset if the carpet next to the, his bed is uh, worn thin through a bit through too much praying. All right, let's move on. Yes, that was my attempt at comedy. 
maybe I should keep my should keep my day job and not venture to the field of comedy. But I thought to myself, well, the lodge urgently needs prayer mats. I don't care whether he prays or not; that's his business. I don't care who he prays for; that's his business. But I do care about the state of the um, carpet in the lodge, and uh, I'm happy happy to buy a prayer mat and send it to the lodge in order to uh, help save the people's carpet. All right, let's move on. Coalition duplicity. It's the contract, stupid, said the High Court. Now, I, I really love the way the coalition government functions because it functions in such a way as to create division, anger and fear. If it's not the yellow hordes marching on Canberra, it's about all these criminals, most of them New Zealanders, who need to be deported. For example, a New Zealand citizen who'd lived in this country for 40 years, who was married, had children, was convicted of fraud, the government wanted to deport him, he went to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, you know... Um, said, ah, this is not really fair. But it's a good thing, creating fear. You need fear before an election. You need people to run to daddy. You need them to run to the Prime Minister and say, save me, save me, save me. Not save me from the Prime Minister and the Coalition, but save me from all those criminals out there. So currently the coalition government is manufacturing a bill which has been trying to get through Parliament for a number of years about removing judicial review in some cases. And obviously they always use the word rape, murder, etc. You know, pedophilia, good words. Good words to raise people's hackles and get them to think, not think logically. There was a significant case in the High Court last week, a very significant case which affects about 2 million workers in this country. About 15% of the workforce works in the gig economy. And the gig economy is a fancy way of saying the exploitation 19th century economy which has been delivered around the world, by the World Wide Web, giving corporations platforms by which they can actually maximise returns at the expense of their workers. I mean, Amazon is a classical example. Now, the High Court was asked whether the contracts which exist between an individual and one of these platforms was constitutional. Well, the High Court said a contract is a contract is a contract is a contract is a contract. It's not our business to look at how that contract works. It's not our business to look at the unequal relationships which exist between the person who signs the contract and the employer. I mean, what we do in the High Court is 
review legislation. We don't make the laws. We don't make the laws. We review legislation. That's why 20 years ago we found that the Australian government under the Constitution can hold people indefinitely. And that's why you've got asylum seekers rotting in hotels or um, camps nine years after they try to make a life in this country because they came here by boat. Yeah, it's policy, isn't it? So here we have the High Court saying, this is not our problem. Obviously there are problems in the unequal relationship between employers and employees who sign contracts as individual contractors. Obviously there's exploitation. But we don't make the laws. We just interpret the laws. And as far as the current legislation is concerned, a contract is a contract is a contract. It's not our business to look into the nature of the contract because we don't have the constitutional power to do that. We have the power to look at legislation and see whether it fills the current constitutional parameters, but we don't have the power to, you know, throw it out if it fits within the current constitutional parameters. And as far as these contracts are concerned, although they're unequal, although they're exploitive, although they may make lives of of people misery, although people may suicide because of the unequal nature of the contract, a contract is a contract is a contract. So what does that mean? Well, it means that this is a matter for Parliament. This is a matter for the legislators. And time and time again at the state and federal level, we have seen legislators fold every time an attempt is made to reduce the inequalities which occur when these contracts are signed in the gig economy. And this affects 15% of workers. That's a significant amount. That's about one in six workers is working under these contracts where there's no minimum wage, there's no holiday pay, there's no accident insurance, there's no workers' compensation, there's no penalties, no overtime, no sick pay. These are basically 19th century contra- contracts where the employer says, you need a job, you need to feed your family, you need to feed yourself, you need to pay your bills. Well, this is it. Take it or leave it. And if you come a, sh- a shunder, you know, if you come a, you know, you get, you get killed, bad luck as far as your family is concerned. It's not our problem. We sign an individual contract. So this is a legislative agenda, a parliamentary agenda. It's about putting legislation in Parliament to modify the type of contracts which can be signed by individuals and employers, whether they're virtual, on virtual platforms, or whether they're real, face-to-face. But this federal government, and to a lesser degree the opposition, has failed, failed miserably to address this question. Miserably. Well, at the same time, they're happy to create fear and loathing in the community to ensure a few hundred malcontents who are not citizens are deported from this country every year. Think about it. Two million, let's say a few thousand on the other side. Two million Australians working their butt off 
for bloody nothing. And the coalition government is more interested in pushing a legislative agenda that creates fear, loathing, hatred, in order to get a few more votes. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. And talking about coalition duplicity, the coalition has shot itself in the foot. And to a significant degree, that has because it's alienating one of its most important segments of the population. Well, let's not forget that most people who are now entering their 60s and 70s and 80s were children of the generation of revolt in the 1960s. But unfortunately, as we see in most areas in life, as you get more and more assets and more and more disposable income, you tend to be a little bit more conservative, your voting pattern changes, and it's not unusual for 65 to 70% of people over the age of 60 to vote for coalition parties. All right? Not unusual, that's about. But currently there's a problem. There's a private investment for private profit problem, which goes all the way back to John Howard. When he introduced legislation, which successfully passed through Parliament, to privatise the aged care industry. And in order to privatise the aged care industry, they had to remove ratios between staff and residents, which means fewer staff for more residents, which means not enough time to look after residents' need. See, these old people, and I'm one of them, but these old people in nursing homes and aged care facilities have got relatives, and they're old too, in their 50s and 60s, and they're angry. And they're angry for a number of reasons. They're angry because of the money that is required in order to put somebody in an aged care facility and the fact they're not getting get as much as they fought when the old folk were going to totter off to the next world. But they're angry because of the way their people, their old folk, are being treated. And to a significant degree, this is a direct consequence of the private investment for private profit motive which has been introduced into areas of public service which cannot support that model because you shouldn't be making a profit from looking after people with specific needs. It's that simple. And if you want to drag a profit out of it, what do you do? Do you starve them? Do you decrease the amount of food they get? Do you decrease the amount of care? Do you screw the workforce? Well, this goes on and on. So maybe, maybe they've shot their foot themselves in the foot as far as uh, their older constituents are concerned because if you want to know about rackets, the nursing home sector is the number one racketeer. The privately owned nursing home sector are the number one racketeers in this country. Let's move on. Public housing, everybody's business. Yes, it's all about social housing, isn't it? Privately owned housing for the poor who will beg and beseech in order to be incorporated. But then it's a little bit like philanthropy. You give money to the projects that you think are good, the deserving poor. Well, social housing, 
It's not about equality in terms of accessing. It's about tailoring the need to make a profit with the type of tenant that you can have in social housing. So you still think public housing is important. We think it's important. Join us every Thursday at midday to 1pm on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House. And if you're part of Australia, that's every Thursday. If in your part of Australia you think public housing is still important, I suggest you start vigils around the country supporting the concept of public housing. Because if there is one thing which is needed in a housing market which is dominated by the private investment for private profit model assisted by negative gearing legislation, then it's housing. And I keep saying, public housing is a win-win situation. Leaving the housing market to the private sector creates the very conditions which sees escalation of housing prices and housing becoming an investor commodity, not a roof over somebody's head. And what increasing stocks of public housing do is decrease the number of people who need to buy in the private or rent in the private market. Decreasing demands using capitalist principles means decreased rents and decreased housing prices. That's why public housing is everybody's business. It affects everybody. It benefits everybody. It even decreases crime. That's right. Decreases crime. You don't need to, you know, do the coalition's duplicity exercise in terms of engendering fear in the community regarding all these permanent residents, criminal types. Think about it. And if you really want to rain on their parade, and their parades are coming through thick and fast with state and federal elections around the country, you need to get involved. I know this is unpleasant. It's a little bit like rubbing shoulders with people who haven't washed for a few years. You need to run on their parade. They don't care if you protest. They don't care if you blockade the place. They don't really care. All they ultimately care about is the number of votes they're able to snare so they can continue to work for their puppet masters. That's what they care about. And if you rain on their parade by becoming a candidate in state and federal elections, putting up ideas which may not be attractive to the community as a whole and especially to the communication sector, but at least... We are raising alternatives. And if you want to do that, you can do it as an independent. Look at the electoral laws regarding that particular election and jump in. Or you can do it as part of public interest before corporate interest. And if you want to join public interest before corporate interest, which says it all, the many before the few, public interest before corporate interest, well, then I suggest you go to the website, pipsy.net, P-I-B-C-I.net, Download the application and form and join us. And last but not least, the West Papua update. Now, I think since West Papua are getting a little bit desperate, they've been desperate for the last 60 years since the Indonesian takeover, over 500,000 West Papuans have died in the struggle during that period. That's a half a million. And when you understand the current West Papuan population, that's the indigenous population, is about a million you can understand the fear in this country. 
and it's getting worse. Currently, there is one Indonesian, heavily armed Indonesian troop for every 10 West Papuans, men, women and children. One. Over 100,000 Indonesian troops currently in West Papua. The struggle continues. And during the 2021 UN Climate Summit in Glasgow, the West Papuan Transitional Government, which we are great supporters of, announced their Green State Network or framework, which basically means they want to be the lungs of the world, the lungs of the world, and not destroy their natural environment. Now, if you are a great supporter of the West Papuan Independence Movement, which I have been over many years, I encourage you to come along on the 27th of March and we'll speak about that more later on, and join the West Papuan Rent Collective. In the interim, we are desperate. The West Papuan office in the Docklands at 838 Collins Street is a pivotal office, if not the only one outside West Papua that's fighting for West Papua independence, is able to coordinate the activities of the transitional government. And if you think this is a joke, well, the Environment Minister of the transitional government, Fanny Koyuga, her partner, Mr Marco Tabini, has just been assassinated by Indonesia's Detachment 88. And what has it got to do with us? We train them, we arm them, we send them into West Papua. So if you want to break this network, join the West Papua Rent Collective. Go to their website or go to my website or give me a call on 0439 395 489. We need at least 25 new members in the next few months to keep the office running. I know it sounds bum bum, but that's the way it is. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week. Number 0439 395 489. Leave a message. You can write letters, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Web page, sorry, uh, Facebook pages, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the Public, Public Interests Before Corporate Interests, web page, anarchistmedia.org, web page, and the list goes on and on. The dilemma is, ultimately, is whether you participate or not. Sitting, watching, waiting for the great moment to come. Tomorrow never comes. It won't come without your participation. Thank you. Listen to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station next week via the Community Radio Network. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse, 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger! You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. 
For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.